You may be seated. <clears throat> we read from uh, Psalm 67 this morning. You know, an interesting thing happened to me when I got a little older. I realized I'd been under a false perception. I thought that David wrote all the Psalms. It was just my misperception. This psalm was written by someone anonymously, and it's, it's not known to us definitely, though many, many scholars believe that this particular Psalm 67 was written in the days of Moses and Aaron, now, possibly by Moses or by Aaron. And you might say, well, why would they think that? Because the opening verse is the blessing of Aaron. And so this song was sung for thousands of years before Christ came. The Jewish people sang this song probably as they gathered in the temple, as they worshipped, as they thought over the Messiah and His coming. And look at what it says. Let all the people be glad, right? Let all the nations rejoice. Let all the nations sing. Do you know that it's possible to sit in a worship service like this day after day, week after week, month after month, and not get the message? The people of Israel sang this song maybe 3,000, 4,000 years, and they didn't get the message. When Christ showed up, they were angry because He came not just for the sheep in the fold of Israel, but for a sheep that were not gathered yet, that He would gather from all the nations. In Acts, when, Pete, when Paul rose up and preached to the men in the temple, just before going to Jerusalem under the bond and chains of suffering, what was their persecution against him? Not because of Jesus, but because he dared to say that Christ came for the Gentiles. At this word they rose up and rent their clothes and cast dust over their heads. And cried out, let him be gone, let him be gone. They missed the message. They didn't get it. 4,000 years worth of history didn't teach them that Christ was coming for all the nations. And the same thing can happen to you. And the same thing can happen to me. And I think, I'm afraid that it does often. We come, we sing songs. We don't think about the words to the songs. We just sing them. We just hear the Ten Commandments, we just go through a Scripture reading, we just hear another sermon that's a decent or okay or mediocre or good or great sermon, however you class it, it gets filed and it's never contemplated again. And it would be possible to live a lifetime in church every week and miss the message. Don't do that. Don't be like the children of Israel. Don't miss the message. Don't miss the intent of what we're practicing. What a great psalm. Let all the nations be glad and sing for joy. Aren't you glad that verse is there for us? Aren't you glad that God did not just come to save the people of Israel, but came to save sinners and foreigners to the covenant like me and you? So far in our study of John 3.16, we have uh, looked at the most loved verse of the entire Bible in several ways. We've seen how vast and great God is. You noticed, I love the motto's reading of John 3.16. I didn't tell him to do that, but he, he remembered. It's for God. Dramatic pause. So loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's not for God so loved the world 
that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, as we so often read it, believes in Him. But it's for God. For God. All-sufficient Lord. The Lord will provide. The Lord who heals. The Lord our banner. The Lord who sanctifies. The Lord our peace. The Lord our shepherd. Judge. Lord God. The Lord our righteousness. The Lord is there. The Lord of hosts. Most high. Mighty one. The branch. Holy one. God of seeing. Jealous God. Deliverer. Savior. Redeemer. Shield. Strength. Righteous one. Everlasting God. God of the covenant. Mighty God, God our rock, the Son of righteousness, wonderful counselor, everlasting Father, Prince of peace, ancient of days, the King, the first and the last, Nicodemus would have thought, for God. His mind would have gone back through the pages of that 4,000 years worth of history that he had heard and memorized and had taught to him from just a small boy, and he would have heard all of those names, not just some blanket statement. For God, humdrum, common. You understand that we do not fear and tremble at the name of our God. We don't even think twice about uttering His name. We put it before swears. We put it before promises. We put it after promises. We lower His name rather than hallow His name. We speak of it as if it's uh, just a common word. We don't think of what the name represents. The name of God represents His full character, who He is and who He shall always be throughout eternity. This God that Jesus is telling Nicodemus about is is no mere exalted superhero human as we like to think of Him. He's just us on a grander scale, we like to think. You know? Do you ever catch yourself doing that? Do you ever think those thoughts? This God is something unique and otherworldly. God is God and there is no one like Him. It can be said that He is the only being in all of the universe. Everyone else, as R.C. Sproul says, is becoming. God is a being. We talk about human beings, but humans are not beings. Humans are becomings, if we thought about it rightly. You're not what you were yesterday. You're not what you're going to be tomorrow. You are always changing and becoming something new, good or bad. But we're becoming. God is not changing. He has never changed. He is the everlasting Father, the one who is the first and the last, the Alpha, the Omega, the Ancient of Days, as Daniel would call Him. He's the being of the universe. So it is this God that Jesus says, For God so loved. And last week we looked at so loved. God in a very particular, that word so, particular. It's not just some general, vague, emotionless, actionless word, love. It means something. God in this way loved. And what does love mean? Love is unchangeable. Love is infinite. Love is great. Love is giving. Love is an action verb. It's not a passive verb. You can't love someone unless you're willing and able to act on it. And aren't you glad that our great God in heaven acted on love? That He didn't just say, as we so often do in our relationships with one another, I love you, and there's nothing to back that up. Our God loved, and He showed His love with His great love for us. God is not merely talking about some 
emotion-driven, wishful, inactive love. It is a willful. God chose to love you. He was not required to love you. He was not acted on by an outside force and forced to have to love you. He didn't have to love you. He didn't have to love me. The great story of the Bible is not that He was forced by our hand, but that by His own hand He reached to those who could not reach to Him. That He loved us when we were unlovable. That He would send His Son in our place. God, in a particular way, loved the world. The love of God shows His character in action. It shows His character in action. So we read the words of 1 John when, God's, when it says, God is love. It's His character. And in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that what? It's action. That He gave His only begotten Son. And that's where we're going today. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It's not just a characteristic. It's an action that God took. There's no love that even comes close to measuring up to the supreme love of our God. Jesus is clearly showing Nicodemus that God is far beyond the small, legalistic God that the Jews had created in their religion. Far from that. Our God is a great God with great, immeasurable love. Yet, how do we understand His love? How do we? There's two questions left to answer here today. How do we perceive His love? How do we perceive it? And then, for that matter, how do we know that He loves us? These are the questions that are before us. These are the questions I believe the text in the next segment gives us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The subject of God's love is found there in John 3, 16b. The subject of God's love is His Son. It's Himself. He is the one who's loving He is the one at move. He is the one in action in this verse. Not the whosoevers, but God. God is the subject of His love. or He is the subject. He is the one acting out His love. love. God's love is active. God's love is not mere emotion that can be described as a feeling. That's how we think of it. Puppy dog love. It comes and goes. There's emotions tied to it where we wake up one day just uh, fanatical about this person or this thing. And after some time, it wears thin, doesn't it? And before long, you've all had a relationship where you thought, man, it'd be nice if that person would just get lost. The feeling's gone. There's no emotion. There's no passion. It changes. But this is not God's love. It's not driven by His emotion. When you woke up this morning and you sinned, which you did, because I did, He didn't say, oh, I've grown tired of this person. I wish they'd die. I wish they'd go on and get out of my sight. I'm so sick of loving them. No. When you failed, God said, I love you. I love you. A thousand times over, I love you. His love is infinite. It's not earned It's guaranteed. It's not an emotion. It won't change. The great statement of Scripture is not that God is love, though that's a very powerful statement. The greatest statement of Scripture is in John 3.16, that God's love became an action. If God only loved in His character and He never acted on it, we would still be hopeless. 
But Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows His love for us. You see, it's an action in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad it wasn't just a character trait that He kept hidden and secret in His own person, in the triune God? He could have done that, you know. He was perfectly fine without us. But He chose to act on His love. And to show His love and display it. Do you sense the sheer magnificence of that statement? God shows His love for us. This is not an outward obligation that God had to fulfill. This is a choice God made from before the time of the world began. To love. God chose to love. And this love is shown only through His Son, Jesus Christ. God's love is displayed. It's active and it's on display. The subject of God's love is Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I believe you cannot separate the love of God from the person of Jesus Christ, His Son. You can't do it. We try often. Think with me about other things that we might say God shows His love into in us. Which there are some other things, aren't there? When you're looking at the sunset over the western Rocky Mountains and you're in Arizona and they're turning with that purple haze, you think, God loves me. God loves me. He painted this sky for my enjoyment. When you're sitting on the beach and it's dark early in the morning and the Gulf of Mexico is pitch black, dark, no lights are shining, and then God's sun begins to rise and you remember the sun rises on the just and on the unjust. And the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And you think for every season there is a time. And from now until the end of time, there will be rising of sun and setting of sun, harvest and uh, planting. There will be all these seasons. And you think, God loves me. But nature is not uh, without its duplicity, is it? The same God who makes the sun set with that beautiful sunset and sunrise is the same God who sends an F5 tornado through eastern Alabama and blows a person's house away. And that guy doesn't see in nature God's love. He probably sees justice maybe, wrath, fallenness. Or if you're that tribal man in Indonesia with no warning system and the tsunami hits and a tidal wave washes your wife and children away as you cling to life in the top of a tree, Where is God's love? Where is it? In nature, it seems God loves and God has wrath. And where do I fit in all of this picture? It's not clearly communicated, though we can see it. We can't fully comprehend it in that alone. That can't save us. So what does Paul say in Galatians 2.20? Christ loved me. How do I know He loved me? Not the sunset, not the sunrise. Christ loved me and He gave Himself for me. It's on display in Jesus Christ. The love of God for humanity is on display in His Son. You can see the smile of God in the sunset over the Mexico, Gulf of Mexico, or the sunrise over the Gulf of Mexico. But nature leaves you with a distressing question. Does God love all of us and does God love me? And that question can only be answered in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ. Some have gotten confused over the word used in this text, only begotten. Okay, I want to clear that up. It's not a main point here. I just want to run through this. That word does not mean, nor does it normally mean, that someone was born 
or the time began for them. That's not what it means, though in the English it seems to mean that. When we look at the Greek word, the most normal, the most regular translation for that is one and only. Unique. And so, Calvin, when he, when he came to this verse and he was translating it from the Greek, he wrote, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Not that God beget a son, created Jesus, He didn't exist, and then He existed. That's not what it said. But the Greek says it's His one and only. It's His unique. There's no one else like Him. You can search and you will not find someone to take His place. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. John is emphasizing that when God gave Jesus Christ, there was no backup plan. There was no one else that could stand in His stead. He is the one and only unique Jesus Christ. Jesus is the subject of God's love. God gave His one and only Son in two ways. He first bid Him leave the throne of grace in heaven. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the God who dwells in unapproachable light. They were in perfect harmony, face to face with one another, and then God bid him leave. God the Father did. And the Son left. He stepped down, Philippians says, and he humbled himself and he became a man. He came in the form of a man and he was a servant and even unto the death of a cross. He's unique. God gave him when he let him leave heaven. We can't imagine that severance. There's no earthly example that can give us that thought that must have crossed. You can't imagine your child leaving for some trip and get the emotion that God had for this leaving. You've never loved your child like God loves Jesus Christ. And yet He bid him leave. He didn't begrudgingly give him. He bid him leave. He said, step down, son. And the son said, I willingly step down. Why? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, His one and only Son. No one can take His place. Severed relationship face to face, no more. Now there is a veil of flesh between the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of His Father. And yes, they communicate. And yes, there's real connection still, but not like it was before the foundation of the world. The second way He gave His Son is on the cross. The cross is in view when John speaks here. God gave a great gift in the person of Jesus Christ. So God's love is in the subject of Jesus Christ. God's love is eternal. God's always displayed His love to mankind through His Son, Jesus Christ. You don't need to get confused to believe that the fall of mankind is a is a, is a trap for God that he didn't expect it nor see it. In fact, when Satan tempted Adam and Eve into sin, he was merely bringing to pass the hidden will of God. God had ordained it before the foundation of the world. It, it has always been God's intention to display his great love through the redemptive act of sending his unique son to cancel our debt of sin and bring many sons to righteousness. God's love for us is eternal. 
Isaiah 53.10 says, It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Acts 2.23, when Peter is preaching at Pentecost, he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It wasn't an afterthought. It was the definite plan of our God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter will not give ultimate credit to the crucifixion to men, sinners, and murderers. He says, God took the life of His Son on the cross by His own plan. God did it. Jesus said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. John 10, 17-18. Jesus gave Himself over to these lawless men, Because of the eternal plan of His Father, Revelation says in 13.8, the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. There was no sin when this plan was hammered out. There was no fallenness yet. This is prior to the creation. And yet God was in action based on His love. We've seen the subject of God's love. What's the object of God's love? God's love is common. Common, by that I mean to all men. There has been a move in the last few decades to try and narrow the scope of God's love. Many modern interpreters have claimed that in actual fact, God does not love the world, but that He rather loves just His chosen people. I want to warn you that we must tread carefully in this place. Listen to this quote. John Calvin said he used the broad word whoever to invite everyone indiscriminately to share this life and also to leave the unbelievers without excuse. This is the significance of the word world which is used in earlier in this verse. For although there is nothing in the world which deserves God's favor, God shows that He Himself is reconciled to the whole world as He invites everyone without any exceptions to have faith in Christ, which is no less than entry into life. Some of you are shocked to hear Calvin speak in such universal, broad terms. Many have demonized this great theologian and pastor. And they've called him a cruel and unloving man. But he understood the love of God. He understood it because he had lived through it. He had lived through the death of his children. He had lived through the death of a wife. He had lived as he was persecuted and driven out of his homeland. He had lived in the love of God. And he understood that it was deep and it was wide. And that it was for the world. God loves the whole world. We don't need to hide from this or jump through some hermeneutical hoop to try to make it fit our little box that God won't be placed in. He loved the whole world. I want to say that again. For God so loved the entire world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's who He loved. The subject is... See, the problem we have is that we can't stay on the plane of Calvin or even greater on the plane of John. When I say that, it offends some because you've been taught wrongly that you can insert your personal name in the place of world. 
haven't you? For God so loved Carlton that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes, that Carl, if Carlton believes in him, I can't even get it right, deleted it from my brain bank. God didn't insert my name. God inserted the world. It's a very common, general love that he has for all of his creatures. Isn't that what Paul teaches us in Romans 8, that all the world will be brought back in right relationship through Jesus Christ? Colossians tells us he's reconciling the whole world to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. The problem is we try to boil it all down and get it on my level instead of the world's level. This is a mistake. The verse in, the view in this verse is broad, not narrow. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, it is that God that loves not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. Indeed, God loves the whole world. God makes a universal display of His love through the Son, Jesus Christ. God's love is particular. It's not just common. It is particular. Before we leave the subject, we've got to say that His love is displayed to the entire world. It can only be experienced by those who believe. God does love the whole world. The whole world doesn't know it because the whole world doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, His Son. God did send His Son to reconcile all things. Some things will have to be reconciled at the end in the judgment because they will not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. But that does not change the fact that God sent Christ for them all in this way. It is inclusive of the world. The love of God is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ in such a way that to deny Him is to deny God's love and face eternal death of hell. Jesus is the only way to a relationship with God. Jesus is the only way that God has chosen to give His love. Without Jesus, you have no access to the love of God. He has displayed His love to the whole world, but it is accessible only to those who fully trust and believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. He will have no infidel rebels who will come into His courtroom and demand that they love Him, that He love them because they are who they are. He will have no infidel rebels who will come at the last time not bowing a knee and not accepting Christ and say, I deserve to be accepted on my merit. He will have no one in His court accepted by other routes and other gods, only through Jesus Christ. But for the whole world, He gave His Son. Why? So that some from every tribe and every nation might come into that courtroom, bend it on their knee and say, Christ is Lord, and I come only by Him and be accepted. This is the picture that Nicodemus and indeed all of the Jews missed in their day. It's the message that many of us miss. It's why more people live in this nation claiming Christ than any other nation, and yet with no thought to the world that is out there. It's the reason that the Rod Connors of the world who came and spoke last week are so very rare. Because we don't believe that it is for all the world. We believe it's for me. For God so loved me that He gave His Son for me and my family. And what God would say from heaven and thunder to us is let the whole nation... And all of the nations be glad. And let them all hear of my son so that the ones who believe in him might be saved. And so, in this verse we find the common grace of God. If you're here today and you have anything good, it comes from the cross. 
You're not getting your just punishment because Jesus died on the cross. You would die if it weren't for him this moment and face your eternal punishment. But he is being long-suffering with you. But don't take his suffering, long-suffering patience to be forgetfulness. He has not forgotten. And if you will not submit to Christ, you will pay for your own sin. But in this same verse, we find the particular love of God, which is not just to all men everywhere, but to those who believe. And for you who believe, you are here today because of Jesus Christ, not because of who you are, not because of your wisdom, and not because of your works, but because of Him. God has given us and given you His saving grace. The cross is the only place we find mercy, grace, justice, wrath, and love wrapped up in one event. We can find it hodgepodge throughout creation, but it all comes to the head in Christ. And as an ending, the Old Testament illustrates these great truths for us. And I want to leave you with this. John eight fifty six. Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing me, seeing my day. Abraham rejoiced in seeing Christ and seeing the day that Christ would come. He saw it and was glad. Abraham saw the day of Christ and he was glad. Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus walked the earth. How could he see the day of Jesus Christ? Genesis 22 tells us that God, after giving him his son Isaac, now remember, at 86 he had Ishmael, by Hagar. And God said, that's not the son of promise. There will come one to Sarah in some years when you're an old man. 86 isn't old enough. So God waits till he's 100 and blesses Sarah, opens her womb, and they have a son named Isaac. He was 100 years old. In Genesis, that's Genesis 15. In Genesis 22, Abraham takes this son of promise who's probably around 15 years old now. And he takes him out to the mountain because he had a conversation with God. See, Amos says God doesn't do anything lest he tell his prophets. And so God was telling his prophet Abraham what he would do. He said, take your son, Isaac. Yes, Lord, I know my son, Isaac, the one you promised all those years ago. And he's going to bless all the nations. That's right. That's the boy. Take him and kill him on an altar for me. Uh, Lord, I'm a hundred. You've said this is the boy. And now you say, kill him? Can you imagine his thoughts that night as he wrestled with the thought that he would kill his only son? The son of promise, the one that God had given him in his old age. Genesis 22.5 says, when he's talking to his servants, stay here with the donkey. This is the next day. Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. You see this? Not I, but we will worship. And then not I, but we will come back to you. And I tell you, Abraham looked forward to my day and he saw it, and he was glad. 
We have evidence in the scripture. We find it in Hebrews 11, 25 through 27. Look at what Abraham, or 17 through 19. Look what Abraham said. This is before he offers his son. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. You see it, his only begotten. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise him from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac from death. Because see, that morning when he left his servants, he took his son and laid wood on his back. And he carried fire in his hand and a dagger in his sheath. And they began to tread up that mountain together. And that 15-year-old boy looked at his dad and said, Daddy, there's wood. There's a knife and there's fire. But where is the lamb for an offering? Abraham saw the day of Jesus Christ and he was glad and he rejoiced. How do I know that? Because he looked at his son and said, God will provide for himself an offering. And imagine you at 15 taking your daddy's word for it you got to figure he's putting two and two together at this point they're halfway up there he sees the pile of rocks they've killed lots of animals up there and there ain't no animal tied waiting on them and there's fire and there's a dagger and there's this wood that he's laboring over they get there he ties him down to the altar he lifts that dagger into the air prepared to thrust it into his son his only son, his son of promise, the one God had said he would give to him. And the hand of the angel of the Lord stopped him. And God said from heaven, Abraham, I now know that you have faith in me because you are willing to give your only, your one and only son. I won't require it of you. I will provide a sacrifice in the mountain for myself. Look in the thorn bush. There is a ram and offer it. And I tell you, Abraham could have jumped up and clapped his heels together at a hundred because he saw the day of Jesus Christ and he was glad. He had a one and only son that God would not require of him, but instead God would give his one and only son for Abraham's sin. Abraham knew he deserved to give his son, but he wouldn't do it because God said don't. God didn't ask Abraham to do what only God could do. He offered Jesus. And He didn't just offer Him for Abraham. He offered Him for all those who would believe. How do you become a child of Abraham? How do you become a descendant of that one and only Son? Through the one and only Son of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. And I'm begging you today, look to that cross and see the day of of the Lord and be glad. He has offered you a sacrifice. He has offered it for Himself. He has accepted it and it's available to you. Believe in Him and you can be saved and you will be saved. Oh, how Sarah must have enjoyed the story of her son coming home. There's one interesting thing. The Bible says He did receive Him from the dead there. I believe that's because in Abraham's mind, if God asked it, There was no question. Isaac was dead boy when they went up that mountain. Isaac was dead to Abraham. 
It's the only way I think a father in this earth could ever offer his own son. He was already dead. And he was already believing that God would raise him from the dead. And Abraham received his resurrection with gladness. And the only question for you is, do you receive the resurrection of Jesus Christ with gladness or do you know nothing of it yet? For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you perish, it is because you have resisted his love. If you have salvation, it is because he has loved you through his son before the foundations of the world. Let's pray. We don't understand all of these things fully, but we understand them in part and we look for them in fullness in your return, Lord Jesus. There are lost men and women in this congregation. I don't know why they came. I don't know how they got here and don't know where they're headed. I commit them to you. I pray that they will see your love in Jesus Christ and they will cling to him and him alone. And that they will die to themselves and identify with your cross. Lord, I'll never understand how you love me. I'm just glad you have. And I thank you for Jesus Christ because I know without him I would be doomed. I pray that everyone here would see that clearly and repent and confess you and be saved. Help us never to belittle and downgrade the fact that you love the whole world. Help us to display your glory through Christ to all men everywhere, every nation, and let them be glad because they see you and they believe. And we look for that day that we will gather with them in the great worship of heaven around your throne and every tongue confessing and every knee bowing that you are Lord to the praise of God the Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Lord Jesus, amen. Thank you for being with us.